Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Brendan here with markvetgurus.com. Go there, visit there, vetgurus.com. At gmail.com, send us an email, say hello. It is episode 158, Friday, October the 9th, 2020. Mark, how are you? I'm great, Brendan. I've had a, it's a, been a lovely long weekend, uh, just um, last weekend, and I had a great time last weekend. It was beautiful weather. Now, what was the holiday for up your way? We didn't have a public oh, holiday. A Labor weekend. Day. Labor Day, Labor celebrating Day. the efforts of uh, the labour movement. And uh, you know what we've I did? Got a more impo- <laughs> we have a more important holiday coming up, as you know, Mark. It is the public holiday here in Victoria for a sporting event for the AFL, the Australian Football League Grand Final, which has been delayed this year because of COVID. And we will have a Friday off and a long weekend in, I think, three weeks from now, or two or three weeks from now. So that's our... Any excuse for a holiday any for any excuse. sporting event here in <laughs> Melbourne? We're a bit sport crazy. Now, I interrupted you there, Mark. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you didn't. I was very keen to hear about the sport in Melbourne. I know what a bloody sport crazy place that is. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, I wonder, as well as the AFL Grand Final, there, um, there's talk that uh, um, the Melbourne Cup might be... Might not have any people yes. present, or it looks awkward. Yes. Well, who knows, Mark? I do not know what b- will be happening with the Melbourne Cup horse well, race. I've got to tell you what I did. I exp- go on. What did you do? I um, went out no, with the beautiful weather. <laughs> <laughs> I went out with the beautiful weather. Um, I went for a bushwalk, and I found my first ever um, uh Peacock jumping spider, Brendan Maratus volans. Do you know these ah. beautiful little insects or oh, arthropods? Not insects. I don't recall. No, I don't think so. And did you take some photos? I was bird watching at the time, so I had the five hundred millimeter lens. And <laughs> while I did set myself up ten feet away and try and get some shots, as you can imagine, they were not the best. Uh, I did have the um, macro lens in the car, but um, by the time I got back, the said jumping spider had exercised his the action associated with his name and disappeared, Brendan. Ah, uh, that's a pity. Mm. You didn't think of grabbing your phone and trying to zap a quick picture with that? <laughs> I did not. But I give it. I um. But I, I have. You've evidence. got an excuse to go out there again. And I know. Find it I know. And... You'll, I encourage you to go online and search uh, um, peacock jumping spiders. They are exceptional spiders. Spring is the time I will to do find that them as too. soon as. Ah, okay. I will have a little look straight after the podcast, Mark. We're having a little bit of a delay here, so that's why we're jumping over each other. So we'll just have to jump in and keep talking over each other. Now, I think 
I'm going to talk about our country with one listener and continue that theme that we're going on every week, Mark, and I want you to try and guess this week's country where we have one subscriber or listener, Mark. Away you go, and you've got no chance, but away you go. <laughs> um, Belarus. Belarus, gee. No, nowhere near it. Um, Iceland, Mark. Well, uh, relatively near, I suppose, in a certain way. Um, Iceland, we only have one, which I'm a bit surprised. I thought we might have a few more subscribers in Iceland. So um, we need to increase our presence in Iceland, Mark. And, um, gee, the next country for next week's a, a beauty. Um, it's a place I... Um, I think we need to get to, Mark, but um, maybe one day we'll get to Iceland. I don't, have you been to Iceland? I have not. I have not. The people I know who have have spoken to who have been there um, speak very highly of it as well, at least as a as a lovely place to visit as a, as a tourist, Mark. So I'd love to go there. So there we go, Iceland. Now, we're going to be very punchy this week because this week we're talking mainly about Real news, I've got the title for this one, Mark, not fake news, real news. Um, so we're going to wrap up a few of the news stories that have been accumulating over the last few weeks and try and knock some of them over. And we've still got probably 20 or 30 of them sitting there to be spoken about as well. But before that, you wanted to chat about a review of a, well, a show, a film um, that's available on well, subscription, it's, it's on Netflix, isn't it, Mark? What do you want to talk about? I'm keen to talk about My Octopus Teacher, Brendan. Um, it's, uh, I've, I watched the film over the weekend um, and I was, I don't know, the title sort of, I don't know, sound, sort of initially put me a little bit um, off the movie. I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be another, um, you know, simplistic uh um, stretched out, um, over-dramatised, um, uh, semi-documentary. Um, but I, I was really pleasantly surprised. The, um, the filmmaking, the cinematography, I thought, was just breathtaking. And, um, and the, the uh, location in um, South Africa amongst the kelp forests um, was uh, was just a um, outstanding backdrop to the story, and um, and the story wasn't overwrought. I don't think it was. Um, it uh, certainly tied the human side of um, of the uh, filmmakers. And his name just eludes me at the moment, but um, t- tied him into the story and his life into the story without. Um, overwhelming it without overwhelming the natural history. Um, and I often find when I do watch documentaries that, um, you know, we're both scientists and we tend to uh, avoid anthropomorphism and we're very cut and dried as much as we can be. Um, but I do think that there's at times a, a, a you know, a reasonable thing to allow some emotions and feelings into our relationships with animals. And certainly the close proximity, the amount of time that the filmmaker spent with the octopus allowed that in Brendan. So I was, I, the combination of the story, the balance between human and nature and uh, the um, natural history, uh, I, I was, uh, the, the wonderful cinematography, I was overwhelmed. I thought it was an awesome film. Now, 
funnily enough, I had this down as a review this week as well, as we were laughing before we started recording. The filmmaker's Craig Foster, Mark. Yes. And, uh, basically a synopsis of the of the film. It's at 90 minutes or so, isn't it, Mark? An hour and a half or so um, on Netflix. It's about um, – well, he's based, it is a – professional filmmaker and he was suffering a bit of burnout or a lot of burnout and um, contemplating his 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 place in the world and he started going just with a without a wetsuit um just with a just with some goggles and and a mask uh, a mask and a, a snorkel uh, just swimming around the kelp forests in his native um, just off Cape Town in south um South Africa, and he meets an op- octopus there, which he follows, and he decides to dive or, or swim with the octopus and, and dive down to look at the octopus every day for what almost a year, wasn't it, Mark? I think, and um, he, he films it and gains the trust of the the octopus, and he and he learns a few things about life. I think off the octopus, hence the title, my octopus teacher um so that's sort of the summary of it yes and i'd i'm i'd i'd had a few people mention a couple of the um the people at work um sam and also um mel who used to work for me who's now retired down the beach um said it was a very good show and i finally got around to watching it and funnily enough probably the same weekend that you watched it mark (laughs) we're probably logged on at the same time and yeah i found it very good. I, I, I must admit, amazing cinematography, and I thought, gee, it'd be right up your street, this um, underwater photography. Um, but I did find there was a section probably in the middle or just past the middle there where it did to, to seem to drag a little bit. It was a little bit slow, but um, the last last 30 minutes or so was, was fantastic. And, yeah, I... Um, I must admit I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, there is a little article that popped up recently that um, spoke a little bit about it and it also talked about, Mark, um, a study before we give our review score of my octopus teacher, a significant new American study, Mark, that was published recently in the Journal of American Psychological Association and their journal is called Emotion, which is um, pretty apt, I think. They found that even 15-minute outdoor walks could have remarkable impact on people. Um, and they call them AWE, A-W-E, walks, where they studied 60 healthy adults, adults aged between 60 and 90, where they went for walks just out into their neighbourhoods, looking around and just appreciating what was there and, and taking photos and um, rating their emotional experience. And it was getting people out there thinking about life and the world around them and um, it had very, very positive effects um, on their mental well-being, Mark. So um, I thought that was quite interesting um, and that was part of this article that reviewed that particular film as well. So it looks like you enjoyed it. What was... Um, what what um what's your summary of it? Was there any other comments you wanted to make about uh, my octopus? No, no, I was just going to give you the score. I thought I'd give it seven out of eight. 
Seven out of eight. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to um, calculate what that ends up being um, a bit later, um, but I'll, I will do that. I'm giving it an 8.6 out of 10, Mark, <laughs> um, whatever your one ends up being. But no, it was very good, and I encourage all our listeners to um, hang in there if you think it's – and some. And I have noticed a few people have said that it is a little bit um, – a little bit – slow but it is a bit of a contemplative journey isn't it mark and i think you just need to be in the mood to yeah undertake that journey yeah undertake that journey with with him and um yeah it's a it's lovely it's a lovely lovely piece of cinematography and a lovely story i really enjoyed it um now I haven't got a segue to this next little bit here, Mark, but it's something that I thought we should um, rip through. Uh, it, we haven't done top 10 or top 20 or top whatever uh, of anything recently, so I thought it's about time we do that, and we're going to rip through 12 curious cases of nominative determinism, um, and it's one of your favourite um Things, isn't it, Mark? So, do you want to tell our listeners what that is? I am fascinated by it. Um, it's, I don't know that you can call it a theory, but um, the thought that a person's name can have a significant impact, um, can even have a role in determining, you know, the key aspects of their. Their, their profession or maybe even something to do with their character. Um, so, you know, the classic one um, is. Uh, um, these are. I'm going to mention a couple that aren't in the list, but um, Taronga Zoo had a the head of um, the aquarium uh, when they did have one. His name was John West, um, which is a famous brand of um, you know salmon, canned salmon in Australia. So that sort of thing is the is the um, the essence of it, where their name may determine or play a role in the tendency for them to do a certain thing. So, Brendan, what's the first one? Well, I'll take that. Yes, we'll alternate. I'll take number one. It is Mark D. Mann, who is a defensive soccer player <laughs> in a Belgian so- soccer club who currently plays for Stady Beerbeek. And I've probably butchered that completely. And he's often deployed as a defensive midfielder, but he's also used centre back or right back. So there we go. Mark D. Mann, the. Defensive soccer player is number one. Number two, Mark. Number two is the best firefighter name ever, Les McBurney. <laughs> Les McBurney. And we don't know where Les works, but good on you, Les. You've, you've found your call in there. Um, number three is Sarah Blizzard, the weather girl, <laughs> who works for the BBC. Good on you, Sarah. Um, uh, number four is you've got to – I think <laughs> I think – it's anyway, Dr. Bath Toothman, who's been practicing odontology for 33 years. What else was he going to do, Dr. Toothman? Have I lost your brain? Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm on to number five. Gary Wood, who uh, is a wood furniture maker, which is right up your you've been making some wood furniture. You'd you'd work well with Gary Wood. Yes, I would. I would. I would mate. Number six is Lord Brain, the neurologist. <laughs> I love how this is tickling your fanny bone. That's a great name for a neuroscientist. And I do like do you do you like is it is there just a certain number of people across the world who have the name Brain. And so if you look hard enough, you'll find a neurologist called Lord Brain. Or is there some, some 
you know, it's a great name, isn't it? Lord Brain, yes. Who was pegged to become a brain doctor since birth, according <laughs> to our list here, Mark. Yes. Number seven. That's yours. Number seven is Anne Webb. And of course, Anne is a tarantula specialist. A tarantula specialist. Um, she helped found the British Tarantula Society and uh, um, uh, uh, writes a book on tarantulas as well. You're lucky you've got the next one. Yeah, how did I, I get the next? How did I get this one, Mark? No, number eight is W. Cockshut, who was a circumcision advocate. <laughs> And very very little is known about W. Cockshut because he was a Victorian doctor and some websites and literature refer to him as C.W. Cockshut and others as R.W. Cockshut. He is relevant due to a quote from the British Medical Journal in 1935, Mark, where he calls for all male children to be circumcised to reduce masturbation. There we go. <laughs> Number nine. Um, Nomad. Nomad is the name of a wandering missing cat. Um, the the uh, story says that um, we would like to meet Nomad the cat. Well, we wanted to meet, we wanted everyone to meet Nomad, but she's gone missing. Yes. And number 10, well, I think a lot of us will know number 10. That's Usain Bolt, the sprinter, the fastest man on earth. And number 11. <laughs> Is a um, company? Uh, no, no, not a company. A, um, a couple of scientists who uh, published in the British Journal of Urology, Doctors Weedon and J. W. Splat. <laughs> I love them, Weedon and Splat, the published urologists. Fantastic. And the very last one. Well, this one's not quite as funny. Um, I don't think this one should be on the list, Mark. So we've we've ended on a downer. It is the Reverend Michael Vickers. Who's a vicar? There we go. So I, I think he should be bumped off the list there, Mark. He's, he's not as humorous as the other ones. So there we go, 12 curious cases of nominative determinism that um, make Brendan laugh, or 11 of them anyway. And, Brendan, I would be keen for us to shout out to our listeners, particularly in the veterinary field, if they're aware of any, um, any examples of nominative determinism in the veterinary game. Give us a shout and let us know. We'd be keen to hear. Most definitely, most definitely. Well, with that, we'll knock over a few of these news stories that have been hanging around, Mark, for a while that we haven't uh, yet covered. And the first one is one that was out fairly recently, Mark, um, as an article in our, our local papers. I don't know whether you saw this one. And that's about uh, leeches saving a man's severed fingers and the use of leeches in... Medicine, and this was a man who um, underwent microsurgery to reattach his severed fingers after a forklift accident in Sydney area, and the fingers that were reattached um, were not, the blood wasn't draining properly and they were worried that they would have to amputate. So they, a um, bit of a long story they've got here, but, but the bottom line is that they managed to find some leeches because apparently the, the, the country's leech, medical leech supply has been compromised for months, Mark, because of last year's drought has triggered a national shortage of the medical grade suckers. So they managed to ring around the um, hospital 
and find the last two leeches they could that were packaged up and, and shipped over to them in a cab. And uh, he seems to be doing well. But the the fascinating thing I found is the um, the person who uh, Mr Woodbridge uh, talks about later on in the article um, about a man who who runs the leech farm or one of the leech farms Mark for medical leeches in Australia it began about twenty five years ago he said when he was at a dinner party and the fish farmer he was a fish farmer um, was got talking to a plastic surgeon from the from St Vincent's Hospital here in Melbourne and. The surgeon asked if he'd ever come across any leeches and a little light bulb went off, I think, in his head and he managed to find some leeches and from there he's been supplying leeches to hospitals nationwide. So um, interesting story um, with them and some pretty pretty um, nasty pictures there of that man's hand um, that was almost completely severed or certainly one, one finger was severed at, at a joint and the other two were... Um, about to have leeches put on them. So that's my first news story, Mark. It's a bit of a good news story. Uh, it's an excellent and, uh, story. It's an excellent story. And um, and I am fascinated by, first of all, the, the improvement in circulation that occurs because of the leeches, but also the fact that it I, it's very difficult to breed them. And so the, 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 um, the, the wood bridges, the couple who have the farm down near Echuca, they... Um, They've they've done an awesome job of perfecting the art and science of leech farming and um and breeding the those um uh, medically important animals. It's um it's an excellent story, which doesn't f- yeah I suppose I, c- I can call my story an excellent one as well. Um it's a um it's a story about what people did, what researchers did. Um, to uh, save a rare vulture chick in Israel. And so what had happened was that conservationists in Israel had been keeping a very close eye on um, a breeding pair of griffin vultures. Um, the species in, is endangered, and so they um, monitor them very closely. Anyway, they um, they were watching one site, um, and... Uh, and they found that, um, you know, the the mother of the the the, um, the pair who were rearing the chicks fell into power lines and was electrocuted. This is one of the uh, very common causes of death for these uh, types of birds. The conservationists realised they had a problem because the father griffin would not be able to feed and protect the chicks on its own. They would um, he would try, but they would slowly starve. Um, when you're a vulture, the article says, being a single parent is really, really rough. So at first the conservationists thought they might have to send a climber out onto the cliff to retrieve the chicks so they could be uh, hand-reared in captivity. But one of the researchers um, felt that that option was less appealing and it might be something to try something from left field. It might be a good idea to try something from left field. And they suggested could we deliver some food up to the chicks without moving them so that they could continue to be raised in the wild, and op- which is obviously optimal, um, and the extra food could assist the male parent of griffin vulture to pull them through. But how would you get the food up to the chicks, Brendan? How would you do it? They used a drone. Can you believe it? 
The Israeli army was contacted and soon it was training for the delicate task of delivering and dropping its payload in a very precarious location. Um, they had to... And I con- think they're very good at um, delivering payloads, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No comment? How many... My only comment is how many listeners do we have in Israel? Um, well, I think we got one. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we love the, our listeners in the, Israel. We, we do have a fair number in Israel. Well, we did. Snide the, remark there, Mark. The wonder is that um, that uh, I would have thought, like I've actually flown some drones over um, uh, various places and I find, particularly with birds of prey, that they um, – uh, I wasn't flying it when I've seen the birds of prey react, but they, they're not – in in Amur with the buzzing um, sky sky invader, but apparently this one worked. The the uh, they were able to synchronize things and get food delivered to the um, the chicks regularly, um, and the uh, adult male ignored largely ignored the assistance, and so it allowed the um, chick to thrive. Um, and in fact, uh, just. Uh, um, a short period, well, they got to the stage where the, the birds fledged and uh, flew away. Um, so that's an outstanding case of um, of uh, conservationists thinking outside the square and um, fortunately they were able to um, save a, a chick of an endangered species from um, a slow and painful death. A wonderful thing. Two good news stories, Brendan. It is a good news story. Now, looking at the footage there, it is a fairly small drone, isn't it? You're talking about the sound of those drones, and some of those really tiny little drones uh, uh, don't make much sound. They're almost like a mosquito sort of buzzing, aren't they, with them? Um, so perhaps that's why it wasn't quite as upset. Or do you think it just got, became habituated to um, things? Yeah, I, I suspect they were careful about delivering the food when he was out hunting and, and probably avoided um, them crossing paths as much as possible. I'll have to look at the footage, Brendan. Yes, uh, you must. <laughs> uh, 156 listeners, Mark, in Israel. There we go. I've just looked it up. And I, I couldn't resist making that um, joke there. So apologies if anybody took offence with that. Um, and next week I'll be making a joke about uh, Beirut, I think. Um, and then Slovakia and Venezuela and um, the Republic of Korea, North and South, Mark. So so my second news story, Mark, I think the mystery has been solved about, uh, solved about Loch Ness. <laughs> Perhaps it hasn't. A piranha has been found in in um, in um, quote marks has been found dead in River Ness at Inverness. The Ness Fishery Board director Chris Conroy has uh, um, is pictured there with the fish mark. And if you haven't pulled up this article, have a look at it. And what is thought to be a piranha or a close relative of the fish has been found dead in the River Ness in Inverness. And this is the discovery by the. District Fishery Board followed an angler coming across two Central American species of fish in the water. And they're not quite sure what it what it is. It could be a piranha or a silver dollar, um, which is a relative of the piranha and peku. And they thought, and there was also other exotic fish that were found there, which was a, a chichlid. And they basically think that they were 
probably, um, almost certainly. So it looks like we haven't solved um, what Nessie is in Loch Ness. It was suspected the fish were kept as pets before being dumped, Mark. And um, I don't know about you, but we see a, we have a reasonable um, – we've had experience with several um, – of the red sliders especially um, that have been dragged out of all sorts of dams and, and waterways here in Victoria. Do you get them up, up your way, Mark? These we exotic- do indeed. We, we yeah. definitely see a few red sliders. And I know um, particularly as you go further north, the um, the um, incidence of um, dumped fish in our Australian freshwater um, waterways, the particularly more temperate and tropical locations where these fish um, can survive. And, you know, I don't know the thermal qualities of the Ness, the river Ness, but I have a sneaking suspicion that for tropical fish fish are going to reach a point where it doesn't really work for them, which is probably a good thing. But in our part of the world, that's, that's not always the case. And so it is a bit distressing that people feel the need to dump their aquarium inhabitants access to requirements into local waterways we would discourage yeah. that Brendan. so they're certainly not the only place in the world where we worry about that sort of thing and that the ness river systems native species include salmon trout and european eels which is the creature suggested to be behind the legend of the loch ness monster and the river ness flows from loch ness to the sea at inverness for those of you who don't know, I was going to say your anatomy, your geography of the region. Um, so there you go. That's my story. Uh, well, it's a bit of a non-story, isn't it, Mark? Maybe I shouldn't have done that one at all. <laughs> um, the piranha-type fish found it dead in the River Ness at Inverness. Well, that leads me to um, to my next story about um, exotic animals and fashion choices. Um, and I think I. I, I you know what an abject failure I am as a fashionista, Brendan. Um, and so I don't know whether I should be the one passing You're ahead judgment of the pack, on this. But I've got to say that um, my sense is that um, people are moving further and further away from the utilisation of animals in fashion um, by and large. But there are some examples um, of... Uh, persistent things um, where, um, you know, a number of the large fashion houses will use leather, particularly from reptiles. Um, so uh, so this story t- starts with these, um, the um, story of the destruction of a $26,000 alligator handbag um, leading some federal cabinet ministers here in Australia to whether, to question whether fashion is still wearing exotic animals is really a good look. And I think bringing this out into the open is really a good thing. I do, I don't know that I entirely accept the, um, the, uh, the basis of the extension from that as animal activists begin to warn that industries like this are, are um, funding a breeding ground for the next pandemic. I look, I don't know whether that's entirely true, but I do have strong feelings about, um, you know, the the um, the animal welfare issues associated with um, with uh, uh, fashion, particularly with um, crocodilians. Uh, I think that um, 
that uh, maybe the things that are done to those animals in captivity are not always um, in the best interests of the animals. And there's been some reports of um, maybe not so much in Australia, but in some parts of the world, the slaughter of those animals might not be done in such a way that takes their welfare into account. Um, but it is a surprising thing that imports of exotic animal goods in Australia are on the rise, that um, the Environment Department figures show that there's an increase in the application for permits um, of about 12% um, in 2018-19 uh, compared to the previous year. So while some people might be moving away from it, it seems that some people are moving towards it, maybe are getting more interested in those things. Um, certainly consumers seem to be aware of it, um, but... Um, uh, animal ethics, uh, animal rights groups like uh, PETA in Australia um, uh, um, hold the price tags on those fashion bags as outrageous and, um, and, uh, and certainly the farming practices that lead to them um, leave not just me uh, to be a little bit concerned, Brendan. Yes, and certainly the concern is that the imported ones you just don't have any idea sometimes of what the what the animal welfare standards are as you mentioned for the goods that are imported from overseas where they might be not in the best types of um farms i suppose whether whether you agree in having um these sorts of farms like the crocodile farms etc um you did mention one of the numbers there that um, at least 85 percent of the permits relating to reptile species and a third of the 2150 permits given were for american alligators which was interesting mark so um maybe they're the are they the fashion are they um to have the american alligator skin as far as a reptile skin um to made into i suppose those handbags or shoes or or, or boots, Mark, um, and the picture of geez, they're pretty leery. Those um, the dye, the colours of the dyes um, they've used for those crocodile breeding farm and tannery in South Africa, where they've um, picked that picture from. Um, have you seen that, Mark? No, I haven't seen the picture yet. It's um, yeah, they're pretty. Um, I don't think. Um, Although perhaps it's sort of the colours that would suit um, your sort of style. <laughs> I haven't said that. You need to have a bit of a look at that. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a it's a worry, but the same thing as usual, isn't it, Mark? Uh, where there's money in it for these people, um, some of these people, especially that twenty six thousand dollar alligator handbag. Um, it's um, more than I'd ever pay for a handbag. <laughs> sure. I don't know about you, Mark. poor Annie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh shit! Well, she's she'd have, I've got she'd have nothing to keep it in. Um, she nothing to put in it, Mark. We've got. Um, um, I'd spend all the money on the handbag, and then what? What, <laughs> what, what, what should, should could you keep in there? Probably a whole handbag full of uh, masks. Yes, during our lockdown is is perhaps what she would have. Um, I've just sent you the that picture there, Mark. Um, have a quick look if you. I can. was just searching around at the um at the the website. the The bag is just black, isn't it, Brendan? The, the oh, I've just yeah, I've sent you the social. Oh picture. yes, if you look on under message, yeah, you see those colours there. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that's much I'll, more my style. 
Yes, and all our listeners can obviously not see this at all, so it's very good radio um, or podcast in here, Mark. So I think that's our last little news story that we have time for because we weren't quite as punchy as um, I hoped we would be, as usual. Um, but um, with a bit of luck, you might have enjoyed yourself. I certainly did at one stage. I had to put myself on mute, as you know, Mark, because I wasn't coping with some of those those names there and we look forward to somebody sending us an email or more than one person sending an email with some of those names that um, give them a bit of a giggle mark and I think with that we will see the gurus thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.